You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. We can see that illuminated sign that marks the end of the journey. This vaccine will help us to get past this pandemic once and for all. We need people to have faith that this vaccine is safe and that they should take it. The thing that's going to stop us from seeing the end of this pandemic are people going, oh, I'm not so sure. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salek. A very good afternoon. I'm Roger Hearing. Now we begin, of course, with what the ministers in Westminster are thinking about in terms of trying to quarantine visitors from overseas, hotels being a prospect to stop the spread of the new variants of coronavirus. Not exactly sure who would be put in these hotels or Indeed, who would pay for them? But the measures would make travellers from places like South Africa, Brazil, Portugal pay to quarantine at a designated hotel. Apparently, it's being done in Australia. And SAGE member Dr Gabriel Scali says the UK should follow suit. What other islands have done right from the very beginning was get this virus under control, get it completely suppressed and down to zero and kept it there. And the way they've done that is by putting in place strong quarantine measures at their ports and airports. And that's exactly what we should be doing. Well, the new measures are likely to apply to British citizens and to those with permanent residency rights, as most foreign nationals are already facing travel bans. Yeah, and then the other issue today, you will no doubt have not failed to miss the row between the EU and the British pharmaceutical company AstraZeneca over vaccine supplies. The bloc set to impose export controls, which could hit UK deliveries from the Pfizer plant in Belgium. That's where a lot of this is being produced. This after AstraZeneca said it won't be able to deliver as many doses to the bloc as it had promised in its first batch. But this morning, the vaccines minister, Nadim Dahawi, is saying he's confident the supply of COVID jabs will match government targets. No one is safe until the whole world is safe from this, which is why we need to work together rather than, as um, the head of WHO said, vaccine nationalism. We should really begin to work together now to deliver for the whole world. Well, let's pick on some of these threads with Mike Wood, Conservative MP for Dudley South, who joins us now. Mike, good morning and thank you for being with us. What are you hoping to hear from the meeting of ministers talking about border controls, looking at hotels, forced quarantine? What would you like to come out of all that? Well, look, I mean, I've obviously read the same newspapers uh, as you have. Um, There will be an urgent question on COVID measures at the border's this afternoon in the House of Commons, where I think we may well hear more uh, about the outcome of this. But it's clear that you know, we need to use the situation we, we have as, as an island to do everything we can to stop new transmission, uh, uh, new mutations of this uh, 
of this virus from entering the country to keep population as safe as possible. As uh, Professor Scully was saying, this is what many, many other countries around the world are already doing. Obviously, if you've been uh, passing through various countries like South Africa in the last couple of weeks, anyway, you're not allowed into the UK already. But this, I think what we're looking for is more measures to make sure that if people are coming in, that they're being quarantined in a way that can be enforced, it can be monitored, it can be effective, yeah. rather than risk bringing in new strains and really uh, multiplying transmissions just at the time when infection rates are starting to fall in the UK. That all sounds very sensible, Mike. It begs the question, though, why now? I mean, we're almost a year into this. Britain has been in Ireland all along and has had these options at its disposal. Why are we only now thinking about it? Well, for a lot of that time, Britain's obviously had higher infection rates than most of the countries that, uh, that most people are travelling from. And so you're actually a lot more likely to be taking the virus out of the UK than to be bringing it into the UK. But now that these new strains of the virus are starting to emerge around the uh, around the world. Obviously, we've seen ones in South Africa, we've seen ones in South America, as well as the ones we've the homegrown ones uh, in Kent and, and Essex. Um, these do seem to spread much, much more quickly. Um, some of them may be slightly less receptive to the vaccines that uh, obviously we're we're rolling out, and so it's particularly important that we do everything we can to stop new forms of this virus coming into the country alongside but, the ones we've already got but, but mike if you look at the people say if you if you look at the countries like new zealand like australia that closed their borders earlier on they're the ones who have done the best out of this so it would have had it seems some benefit to have done this much earlier well i mean obviously new zealand and australia do typically have far less um international travel in and out of their countries anyway in normal times uh, far less ferry travel. Obviously, they don't have the road links that the UK does through the uh, through the Channel Tunnel, um, and so the, uh, the the traffic coming in and out of those countries as islands is completely different scale to the uh, to the UK. So, the, the, the would have been it would have been very difficult to have shut our country off completely from uh, from the continent for a long period of time. But now it's really really important that we those extra measures to stop new strains coming into Britain. But, Mike, I mean, there is a cost to this, obviously, and the cost is to the, well, to airports, to airlines, to the hospitality industry, to business generally, if they effectively are shut out from travelling for business purposes. Uh, a lot of your colleagues, of course, I know, feel this uh, more strongly than the Prime Minister, or think they do, and are trying to push him to ease up more quickly. What's your view about all that? Well, there are absolutely enormous costs, really on an unimaginable scale, of almost all of the measures that have been taken to try to uh, try to tackle this virus. And that is one of the reasons why uh, this kind of really, really strict quarantine um, and entry uh, entry restriction measures haven't been taken earlier, because recognising the you know, enormous costs on top of the ones that are already being faced by so many uh, so many businesses. Uh, businesses. But we need to get this uh, virus under control. Uh, we need to make sure that pressures on our National Health Service uh, ease, that they don't overwhelm our hospitals, uh, so that we can start to ease those restrictions. We want our businesses to be able to get back to normal, to start cre creating those jobs, creating the prosperity our communities rely on. We can only do that if we can get these infections under control.
Well, what about schools? I mean, this is obviously an area that people are focused on a lot. We've now got a, a report out of the Telegraph today that the Prime Minister is considering or at least hoping to reopen schools before Easter. I think primary schools is planned for even after the February half term, so all relatively soon. Does this seem sensible to you? I mean, if you look at hospital admission rates, they're still nearly double what they were yeah. last April, so we're a long way from getting out of the woods. Oh, we're certainly a long way from getting out of the woods, but obviously as the, the vaccine is uh, is being rolled out. We know that those first priority groups that were hoping to have uh, first doses administered by mid-February account for about 88% of the deaths from this uh, virus so far. So as that vaccine is rolled out, hopefully that will have the impact we want to see on deaths, on serious uh, illnesses. And the safest place for our children is in school. Obviously, that does have an impact on transmission in the wider community. As I'm speaking to you now, my two children are working from home in the next uh, the next room. They're uh, working away. Um, but no matter how good the learning is at school, no matter how good the remote education, it's not a replacement for children in the classroom uh, learning. And there are so many children who've who've lost almost a whole year of classroom learning and the social development as well as the educational development that goes with that. But we do need to get children back into the classrooms as soon as it is safe for us to do so. What about the vaccine rollout? Because that obviously is one of the big answers to all this. Uh, it's going seems to be going pretty well over most of the country. Some question marks about how it should all be done, because on the one hand, obviously everyone wants to get all the vaccine out to as many people as possible, but people seem to turn up and perhaps get leftover vaccines, and people think, oh, they're jumping the queue. I think uh, it was the Bassett Law MP, Brendan Clark-Smith, who's 40 years old, been vaccinated after being left given a leftover jab. I mean, what's the right policy in these ways because people might feel that they're that they're being left out well i mean the uk is doing remarkable rolling out this uh this vaccine you know, more than seven million vaccines so far uh, nearly half a million on saturday alone yesterday was the opening of the new uh, mass vaccination center the black country living museum in uh, in dudley where they'll be vaccinating a thousand uh, people a, people a day so and um, we really are on target to get through those highest risk parts of the population by middle of February is the aim that the Prime Minister has set out. Now, obviously, with these uh, with these vaccinations, you do have about 10% of people don't turn up for the appointments. Um, once, particularly with the Pfizer vaccine, once it is diluted at the start of the day to be ready to be administered, it has to be used within six hours. So if people don't turn up, obviously, you try to get more people from the high priority groups, if they don't turn up, then you either throw that vaccine away, which would be an absolute tragedy and I think would be a disgrace, or you use it on the volunteers who are working in our vaccination and testing centres, obviously bringing in pharmacists, other NHS frontline workers who haven't yet had the vaccine, but obviously an increasing number of those have already. Uh, and I think that is a perfectly sensible way of using up the leftover at the end of the day rather than wasting it. And very briefly, Mike, I've got to ask you about uh, Boris Johnson's planned trip to Scotland to, as, as some have put it, save the union. Um, the rules in Scotland say travel for work should only be done when you can't do that work from home. Uh, this doesn't feel wholly necessary, does it, from a, from a rules point of view? Well, if, you, if you're Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, I'm not sure what part of the job is more essential than trying to 
keep the United Kingdom together. So I think that if the Prime Minister needs to travel to Scotland uh, as part of that work, then I think that is perfectly essential. Uh, That's a political travel. Decision, no, I, I, I don't. I don't think it is. Uh, in this, um, certainly the First Minister isn't wasting any opportunities through this crisis uh, with her own profile to make uh, to make sure that her arguments for Scottish independence are put across at every opportunity. And I think those of us who do believe in the benefits of family of nations in the United Kingdom do have a responsibility to do everything we can, and that does involve the, the Prime Minister actually visiting different parts yeah, of the United going... Kingdom rather than being holed up in London. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics. Uh, And, Roger, we start with the job situation. Yes, the UK's unemployment rate climbed to 5% in the three months up to November. That's actually slightly better than economists had expected. But by the end of December, 828,000 people had lost their jobs since the crisis began. Redundancies hit a record level in November. And that picture, of course, could worsen as the UK lockdown continues. And the government's furlough scheme, of course, is due to end in April. We'll see if Rishi Sunak extends that. Yes, in the budget is when we're expecting to hear in the March budget some uh, news on that. And then that comes amid a following a report that found women in the UK can expect to spend less of their lives in good health than a few years ago. It casts more doubt on government targets for improving the nation's health. So the Office for National Statistics found that female healthy life expectancy showed a significant decline to 63.3 years between 2017 and 2019. That was down from 637 in the two years through 2060. And the figure for men was little changed at 62.9 years. So you're still likely to live longer, statistically speaking, if you're a woman in the UK, but a little bit less now. Well, also, of course, a lot of well-being and and health, physical and mental, comes down to the way we live our lives. Some of the country's top doctors are are really concerned about mental well-being. They say depression amongst children, school children, is at frightening levels. They think parents are on the brink of a breakdown as well. Ten of the UK's most senior experts have been writing in the Times calling for teachers to be prioritised for the vaccine. Labour's Wes Streeting doesn't want a date for reopening classrooms. What he wants is a plan. What concerns us is that at the moment we don't understand clearly what criteria the government will use to determine when it's safe for all pupils to return to school. We don't see any sign of a plan to make schools as safe as, as possible. And then we've got to talk about the union uh, once again. Scottish nationalists say the Prime Minister's planned trip to Scotland this week stretches the Scottish government's coronavirus travel guidance. We were speaking about this with Mike Wood just a moment ago. Uh, It says travel for work is listed as an exemption from rules, but only where that cannot be done from home. 
an SNP minister, MP and spokesperson, have all questioned how essential Johnson's jaunt up north really is. The First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon, expected to have her own say during her statement at Holyrood today. Now, one of the continuing problems of the pandemic has been the lack of trust people show in what they're told. Perhaps unsurprising, given the frequent changes in advice during the pandemic, but this becomes particularly serious when it comes to vaccination. People refusing to be vaccinated because they fear it hasn't been properly tested or because they see it as part of some grand conspiracy to control them. Vaccine hesitancy or reluctance is especially marked in the BAME communities, black and other ethnic minorities, in the very same groups who have disproportionately suffered, of course, in the pandemic. The black community in particular, SAGE Research, that's the government's advisory group, suggests 72% of black Britons are reluctant to have the vaccine. Well, Dr. Agnes Arnold Forster is a medical historian at Bristol University who's carried out an extensive research into vaccine hesitancy. She joins us now. Uh, Agnes, thanks so much for being with us. How widespread then is the rejection of the vaccine and in which groups? Um, I think it's pretty widespread, um, particularly, as you say, um, in black and minority ethnic groups, but also, as you say, concentrated within um, black Britain rather than other minor- minority ethnic um, communities. Um, I think the statistics are worrying and should um, prompt you know, careful consideration by the government about what they're going to do to address this concern and hesitancy and reluctance amongst these communities who, as you say, have been some of the most worst hit by the pandemic. And it, it, it begs the question of why these people are so hesitant? Are there general themes emerging here? Um, Yeah, definitely. I think one of the most important things to do when discussing these um, uh, disparate hesitancies amongst different communities is to be careful to distinguish between the kind of classic anti-vaxxer and the sort of person who correlated the NMR vaccine with autism, the sort of crank conspiracy theorist, with people who have concerns, who are hesitant, who are reluctant to um, get the jab, for probably actually very reasoned and um, well thought through reasons, even if um, they're not necessarily uh, correct. And the hesitancy amongst the AME communities has a long history and is the product of a long history of health inequity in Britain. Um, We know that since the foundation of the NHS, health inequalities have not just have not been narrowed, but in fact have been deepened. In the 1980s, the government conducted a working working group on inequalities in health, known informally as the Black Report, um, which declared that inequalities had seen no reduction since 1948 and had in fact widened with death rates between social and ethnic groups widening over the decades. Um, And this uh, still uh, carries through today. Uh, Black mothers are five times more likely than their white counterparts die in childbirth. And there are widespread concerns that the state healthcare system cares less for um, black minority ethnic British citizens than white British citizens. But in a way, that it almost doesn't make sense. If you're saying, well, if, if they feel it doesn't care for them, but they are now being offered something that in a way is a demonstration of care, surely. Yeah, of course. But um, there's a question about trust, right? Like if you are mistrustful of the state, if you are mistrustful of the government um, because they have historically paid less interest in you or enacted policies that actually actively harm you and your community, 
then um, you're not necessarily going to believe everything that the government says to you about um, new healthcare technologies or innovations. And this is also made more complicated by the fact that a lot of these, uh, well, all of these vaccines are being developed by large pharmaceutical companies, which have their own history of not just racial neglect or, or you know, sort of disinterest in the well-being of black and minority ethnic communities, but have actually targeted those communities with harmful or, or uh, harmful um, drugs or programs or, or um, campaigns that have not had effective um, consent practices. For example, in 2009, Pfizer, one of the companies involved in the one of the three vaccines we're now using, um, made a £75 million out-of-court settlement after 11 children died during a drug trial during a meningitis epidemic, although it insists that its drug was not to blame. And these sorts of incidences in, in relative recent history have um, carry on through memory, through community memory, and can be very off-putting if you're now being told by the same, co- same company has relatively quickly developed a new vaccine um, and it's going to be administered by, administered by a state that doesn't have the best track record when it comes to caring for your needs. Okay, so perhaps some uh, some legitimate bases for for people to be uh, perhaps a little bit of uh, a little bit skeptical about this. Uh, wh- what about campaigns to to get certain communities on board? I mean, in the Guardian today, across the front page, uh, you see splashed one by BME celebrities, people like Mira Sayal, Moeen Ali, uh, to convince their respective communities that that it is safe. Do you see that sort of thing working? Yeah, I think there's definitely a case to be made for. I mean, as with all of these things, right? You need a multi pronged and strategy, you need lots of different yeah. things working at different levels. I mean, I've seen a similar campaigns which are about um, making sure that vaccine information is in languages spoken by certain communities who might not um, speak English as their first language. And those things can also be really useful. I think that thing, though, about trust is really important. So um, community leaders, faith leaders, celebrities from your own community, these can have a really powerful effect on how people take in information, whether they trust the information that's given to them. Um, but I think also we do need to be a little bit careful about the sort of celebrity angle. And um, I would argue that um, black and minority ethnic healthcare professionals are perhaps our greatest tool in this kind of campaign. People who have an intimate and personal relationship with people who can take the time to explain things, to talk some, talk people's anxieties through with them. And this is this isn't one of the problems with vaccine campaigns historically has been that they've taken an overly kind of um, instructional approach. So you just have the state telling people what they should do with their lives. This needs to be a conversation, a dialogue. People need to feel as though their concerns are being um, listened to and people need to acknowledge the historical groundings for some of these anxieties and concerns rather than just, you know, dismiss that vaccine hesitancy as a kind of, you know, sort of crackpot theory that doesn't have any basis in reality. I mean, I was going to ask about that because I mean, we're talking about ways of encouraging, but what about the people who are out there discouraging the, 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 the theories that are put out there, the conspiracy theories? I mean, I've seen people suggest, for example, in terms of Muslim communities, that perhaps there is pork fat involved and, I suppose, beef with regard to Hindus. Is there a way of tackling the misinformation as well as helping with the information? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think part of this as well is about choosing the correct avenue for communication and recognising that you know not everyone is going to receive the information relevant to them, you know, over conventional news sites. So much of this now travels through social media, things like WhatsApp and, and Facebook. Um, so I think meeting people where they are as well is really important so that challenging misinformation on those same channels is vital that you can... Um, and I think also 
being open to people coming with you with their concerns they found out on one of these sites. So acknowledging that that's where people get their information from and then tackling that head on rather than saying, well, we're just going to publish information campaigns on, you know, the BBC or whatever. If that's not your news source and it's not going to be as much relevant to you. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.